This is the Action Network Podcast. That's when you have fun. When you're kicking somebody's ass and they're sucking for win. That was good. Ready? Go. Inbounder on the baseline. Foul. And a steal! Last chance to dead! Way outside. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. I'm Mike Calabrese. Our podcast today is brought to you by FanDuel, and I am joined by the Action Network's Director of Research, Evan Abrams, to talk everything Final Four. We kicked you off in the pre-tournament phase, trying to warn everybody, sounding the alarm that this was going to be a crazy March Madness. Here we are, two weeks later, in the Final Four And it basically has paid off. No top seeds, no one seed, two seed, three seed to the final four. We have two true mid-majors playing head-to-head, which means that we'll have a true mid-major in the national championship game. When you look back all the way to 1990, when UNLV cut down the nets as the national champion, since then, we had Utah in 1998, Butler in back-to-back years in 2010, 2011. And if you want to count Gonzaga a few years back as a true mid-major, having an opportunity to win the national champion. Ship. That is it. So this is incredibly rare, but we're bringing in Evan to be able to talk exactly how intricate and unique this year is and to talk about the opportunity for any of these four teams to cut down the nets, some cystical nuggets, plenty of analysis. Evan, how are you? I'm doing great. That was an incredible intro. Uh, I don't know how much I can follow that up except for the fact that I can't believe we're here with these four teams. It is literally mind boggling when you first looked at the bracket, we were trying to pick winners and someone's like, can Purdue do this? And, you know, whatever, uh, picking Arizona to win it all, you know, all sorts of things you heard all across the bracket. And now we're sitting here with just a collection of madness. Uh, I think the first thing we kind of have to talk about is these teams final four odds entering the tournament because It gives us like a historical perspective since we have that pretty far going back. So let's just start with FAU. They were between 200 and 250 to one entering the tournament. And I think they're your unicorn because if they actually pull this off and win it all, they'll eclipse UConn, who was 100 to one to win it all, uh, I believe 2014. uh, I have that right. And so that will be your longest champion ever, which is insane to say in the seeding era back to like 77, 78. From the other teams, you've got San Diego State at 80 to 1, Miami at 50 to 1, and UConn at 16 to 1. And the one nugget I'll add to this, which I kind of find incredible, Miami 50 to 1, San Diego State 80, and Florida Atlantic 200. It's the first Final Four ever with three teams 50 to 1 or higher. So that alone kind of tells you this is just madness. Let's talk big picture with San Diego State. You know, when it comes to bringing a national championship out West, it's kind of turned into the Oregon Trail. Everyone seems to die out West. Something goes wrong. But here are the Aztecs being with the ability to be the first true team out West since 1997 when Arizona won the national championship to go ahead and cut down the nets. This is an interesting team for a lot of different reasons. But are there any statistical nuggets that jumped out to you as you were looking through SDSU's profile? Yeah, man, the 1997 note has just been killer. Every single year you've been able to use it. You know, you've had Gonzaga, you've had a few teams, but like you said, Oregon Trail, dysentery, teams have kind of fallen off. Um, But I think the one of the interesting things is with the nine seed FAU, five seed San Diego State, and you got the five on the other side as well. No champion's ever been a five seed. So you have the opportunity to kind of see that in this spot. Uh, 
And from like a trend point of view, like how is San Diego State performed this season? I think this is kind of interesting. So Bet Labs has second half spreads and San Diego State was 11, 17 and two in second halves in lined games that there was a second half spread. But since March 1st, seven and zero straight up and five, one and two against the second half spread. And they're just rolling people. And I think they're doing it in really, really grinded out fashions and they're doing it in slow paced games and they're doing it with low scores. And that kind of leads to the last nugget. They've gone under now in 12 consecutive games, uh, which is insane to say since February 1st, 14 and one to the under going under by 12.7 points per game. And that's just the way they've played. And, uh, we're going to see if they can do it again against the Florida Atlantic team. So you bring up the fact that they're an elite defense. They want to slow the game down, grind it out. FAU comes in. They're actually 7-1 straight up against top 60 defenses, including two wins against Tennessee and Kansas State on their way here. So what are your thoughts on the Owls punching their ticket, really coming out of nowhere? I know that they won 30-plus games during the regular season, but that seemed, you know, at least from the selection committee, to be a little pat on the head. You did it in Conference USA. That's adorable. No one thinks they're a, a regular darling at this point. They have been killers. They've been able to grind it out against physical teams. They've been able to score in high-scoring games. So it seems as though they're flexible in terms of game flow. So what are your thoughts on FAU's chance to not only win one, but win two here in Houston? I think you need to just take a step back and look at one of the notes that you just said. Honestly, it's Conference USA, right? 17 and one straight up in postseason play, 14 and four against the spread. I think we just underrated the conference a tiny bit. Like I loved UAB. I wanted Jelly to get into the tournament so much and so did so many people. And that team is great. So I just think in general, giving them a nine seed probably wasn't the right move. Now you can say that about a ton of you know teams and seeding and all that stuff, but obviously this, this sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, the one thing that everyone's kind of talking about, which I kind of find interesting, fourth team since 85 to reach the Elite Eight after literally no NCAA tournament wins prior to the season. Just new blood. And then you look and say, what about the final four? Fifth team in the seeding era, reach the final four and get their first tourney win in the same year. Let's go 2006 George Mason, 1983 Georgia, 81 Virginia, and 79 Indiana State. And Indiana State, only team to actually get to the title game. So got to see if they can get over the hump here. Also, when it comes to FAU, they come in with a ton of momentum, but so does San Diego State in terms of their their win streak. So does that kind of, you know, render a satellite that moot or is it interesting to look at teams that have reeled off 10 plus wins heading into the final four? I kind of look at it as it kind of moots it. It's kind of the same thing back and forth. I will say this is fun. Uh, if they are to lose and San Diego State is to win, I think that leaves Merrimack with the longest winning streak in the country. Uh, so poor Merrimack, who couldn't get in with Fairleigh Dickinson and that whole ordeal. The one thing I will say that's interesting is they've been better against the spread. Fort Atlantic 24-11-1 against the spread this season. You have a tight game. It's just about winning, but they have been a cover machine. Now we look on the other side for the other national semifinal, Miami against UConn. Miami, for me, it begins and ends with Jim Laranega. I mean, this guy has been an absolute ATM as an underdog, which just proves that when he's in a position to – have to you know help his team elevate their play with in-game adjustments. He's done it. You saw it on full display in that comeback against Texas, a Texas team that was undefeated on the season when leading at half. He goes ahead, upsets the apple cart there, and punches the ticket for the Canes. I mean, don't tell anybody now, but maybe Miami's a basketball school. What are your thoughts on the Hurricanes here against UConn? And as I mentioned before, chance of winning two in Houston. I kind of find it funny that 
before the tournament, everyone makes fun of the ACC, no team's good, this, this, and that. And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's six of the last eight years ACC team's been in the final. So they get there, they find a way. This time it's not Carolina or Duke, it's Miami. So interesting, nonetheless. The one thing I will say, and you noted on it, underdogs, just the number seems fake. 20 and five against a spread as an underdog over the last two seasons for Miami, 33 and 12 over the past three years. You know, there's like 300, 400 coaches in our database over the last three seasons. Larenig is the best against the spread. So we're going to see if he can keep it rolling here. That five and a half number also kind of large for this type of game. You don't tend to see that in too many areas. I believe the biggest upsets start at like the six and seven mark. But so five and a half is a decent number. Yeah, it's interesting that the Larenaga data as it relates to him being an underdog, just through my own research, looking back to him taking over the program in 2011, he's the sixth most profitable underdog coach against the spread of high major teams because you have some programs in there that just don't have that many games. You have a lot of programs from very low major conferences where potentially there's some market influence where numbers are just way off. You're going to get well calibrated numbers at, you know, at the high major level, particularly in the ACC. So just, you know, even goes deeper into how good of a coach Larry Nega is. Honestly, Mike, this is the crazy one. If Miami cuts down the nets in Houston, Larinaga will not only become the oldest coach to win a national championship at 73 years, four months, and 21 days, he'll also become the oldest coach to win a title across all the four major sports, including college basketball and college football. Couldn't believe it when I saw it or heard it or did it, but it is the damn truth. Eat your heart out, Dusty Baker. <laughs> now he's up against a coach who may be finding himself in deep water here. Hurley looks as though he's very comfortable at this point borderline overly confident you look at kind of the the media and press availability that he's done so far they were struggling a bit in Big East play and they figured some things out schematically and no one's been able to figure them out ever since is this UConn wagon just too strong at this point or is there any historical data to point to to say yes you've won via blowout four games in a row in the tournament but maybe it's time to get off that wagon Sure. So we'll start with your first point, because I feel like that's the most notable. It's kind of what everyone's talking about, the fact that they're just beating people by so many points per game. So the Huskies are the 10th team to win their first four NCAA tournament games by 15 points or more. Only five of the previous nine teams to win it all, to, went on to win it all. So if you look at it from that perspective, I think you probably would have assumed a little bit of a higher percentage number there. And the last team in the spot, of course, Gonzaga in 2021, rolled the field, got there and lost. While Connecticut, ironically enough, back in 2004, was the last to actually win it all. So to me, I think they have a pretty good shot, especially with everyone else in the field, which you also tend to see. Miami's won, what, two consecutive games straight up as an underdog, I believe, if I have that right. Usually those teams don't keep that type of run coming, especially with the dog, the dog, the dog, you know, and I think if they make the title game, it's probably going to be close to a 50-50 shot against San Diego State and FAU. They'll probably be close, you know, it'll probably be close to that number. And, and the last thing I'll note, early markets. We're recording this on Wednesday. People listen about Thursday-ish. Listen. UConn's at 62% of tickets right now. So they are the biggest public side among the four teams. Everyone's back in the wagon on the Huskies. And honestly, if it gets to 63% or more, only three teams have done that in the final four or title game since 2005. Uh, that's from our Bet Labs database. So people are loving the Huskies. As it relates to people loving anybody, certainly there's a, a threshold where for an NFL game, for example, when it gets over 75, 80, 85 percent, all of a sudden it's like, 
you don't have to be a genius to think in a contrarian mindset and go the opposite direction. How has the public performed against the closing number in the final four in recent years? It's been atrocious. It's been really, really bad. Uh, and more so recently than like full scope. So let's just go with the data here. Since 2005, 23, 27, and one against the spread for the public. Now you ask yourself, what's the public? That's 51% of tickets on the spread or more, obviously. Uh, and when you look at it from that point of view, 0-3 against the spread last year in the Final Four in title game, and 5-13 and against the spread over the last six years. So public hasn't fared well in this spot. And if UConn makes the title game, I can almost assure you they're going to be getting the ticket count. So, In terms of trend betting as well, I know a lot is made of the large arena and how that can play to the under or three-point shooting. Have you found anything to correlate with that? I know to a certain degree it's been debunked in recent years that three-point shooting just falls off a cliff in the final four in some of these larger venues. But did you find anything interesting along your way? So I first looked at Houston, right? Because you want to look at the specific stadium, the stadium they're playing in currently. This will be the fourth final four set in the city of Houston. The winners are UCLA, UConn, and Villanova. You know, kind of noise in that sense. But I think what is interesting is this will be, this final four will be the 14th college basketball game played at Reliant slash Energy Stadium since 2005. Under is eight and five in those 13 games, going under by 5.8 points per game. However, the 2016 Final Four saw all three games go over the total. Uh, and the one thing I did look at, which I find a little intriguing, second half unders are six and two in those games. So I think we would more think the opposite. Uh, as I was talking to our colleague Darren Ravel earlier about like, over-unders and he liked the under in the first half and this and that it's interesting that first half unders in the final four are nine and 12 and one to the under since 2011 so it's really an over trend in that sense and I just don't really think I would have thought that with the big stadiums and the bad shooting early I think it's it's pretty easy to talk yourself into either San Diego State or FAU you can make a lot of statistical arguments I personally lean with the Aztecs because I think Brian Dutcher is the better coach and he's done so well with four plus days to prepare. He's done very well as an underdog and at neutral sites. But the other matchup, I just can't quite figure out. I think the number for starters is very well calibrated between the Hurricanes and Huskies. So I just keep going back to this coaching disparity in terms of experience. Not just the fact that Larry Nega is coaching and coaching so well deep into his 70s, but also this is his second trip to the Final Four, whereas it's Hurley's first. Am I overstating that? Is that too much of a big deal? I mean, I look at it from one thing. I've heard a bunch of TV this week. People have been asking Larinaga a lot about the 2006 Final Four trip. If that, you know, if there's anything he can glean there, anything he can learn. And the interesting thing that he did say is shooting is bad early. And that's why I was so interested about that first half trend. He said the George Mason team got out there and the stadium just kind of took them over. Like that first half, he said, we could have played 10 times better than we did. So looking at the actual data in NCAA tournament history, the coach with more Final Four experience wins about 63% of the games. Absolutely no shock. Uh, in the Final Four and National Championship, it actually lowers to about 62%. Now, since the start of seeding, the experienced Final Four coach is 61% straight up and only like 53, 54% against the spread in those games. So to me, it's a bit of a wash. It has tons more to do with the team. I think it has more to do with actually the first half. And like the early adjustment in the game. And then once you get into the rhythm, I think the teams take over. It's interesting looking through your data and everything that you prepared for this conversation that I you know, was able to 
from a selfish perspective, just get to take <laughs> through the rest and prep angle. All four of these coaches have done well with that, that additional prep. In terms of set plays or forcing certain players to have to shoot when you're on the defensive end, is that an overstated element or is it really night and day compared to earlier in the tournament where you have that quick 36 hour turnaround in some cases where you're relying on your assistant coaches maybe to prep ahead for two opponents as opposed to one where now it's it's really shrunk down. You have all this extra time to get into the weeds and maybe show off some elements either offensively or defensively set plays that you haven't throughout the season. Do you think this is a big enough thing to really kind of lean on? I know in this case, it's basically a wash because they're all so good at it. But is this something you think about pretty regularly when it comes to tournament time? I actually think about the opposite. So I think the longer prep is less relatable towards gambling than the shorter prep. I, I think the one, two day rest statistics, when I look at ATS, especially margins and like quick turnarounds and having to look at teams, the longer prep, I think it evens out. And I think it's it was very ironic when I went to look at the four coaches. I was looking for, you know, one team was going to be bad or one coach wasn't going to be able to perform as well. Now, the one thing I will say, Larinagas had a large sample size, right? That's like 250 games. But the other coaches, like you said, 60%, 50%, you know, making tons of money for their betters. So two questions to get you out of here on. First, how did your final four end up shaking out? And then second, who do you like in these national semifinals and to cut down the nets on Monday night? So this is the best story I, I really have. Uh, I was in a pool with like 20 or 30 people. I picked Arizona to win it all. I was out on the first day and I just won my pool because everyone else lost. And I ended up having some Texas, some Creighton, some Yukons. I got some points and ended up winning it. And nobody in the pool picked the winner. So I think that's actually going to be kind of co uh, common. I think you're going to see a lot of pools out there where someone who might have been added out of it really early, someone who, you know, picking colors, picking mascots usually ends up happening. But this year, absolute chaos. I had my cat pick a pool, like, you know, things happen. So, and then it, who I actually like, Listen, I think San Diego State is really, really good at what they do. And I think if they control the pace in the game and keep it low, I think they're going to advance. What I would do, I'd take the dogs. I would take the two, two and a half with San Diego State. I would start with Florida, Florida Atlantic. And then I'm waiting for six. I think five and a half is a little bit a little bit scary when it comes to one possession, two possession games. If it got to six, I'd take Miami. I think UConn's going to win, but I think it's going to be tight. And then in a hypothetical matchup between the Aztecs and Huskies, is UConn just going to overwhelm them again? And honestly, how many times are we going to do this with UConn where they just get hot at the right time and turn into a wagon? This would be, what, the third time in 15 years? Yeah, I, I got to go with UConn. Like, the thing that scares me in the title game would be exactly what scares every team facing San Diego State, which is you absolutely never get to play the game you want to play. Right. Every time you face Sandy, and that's kind of the reason they've gone under in 12 straight games. They control the game. They control the pace. And I think Hurley's good enough to try to overcome that. But God, that scares me. And that's why I kind of think that if San Diego State does get to that title game, they probably have a better chance in Florida Atlantic. So in terms of my final four, I did have UConn in it. So, you know, kudos to me on that one. But I'm really carrying the banner. I have a hundred to one ticket on San Diego State. And I had my two-year-old up in the middle of the night about six weeks ago, and it took forever to get him to sleep. He was teething. And I walked out of the bedroom. I thought to myself, I deserve a treat. I'm going to play a couple hands of blackjack. I won five bucks. 
I put it on FAU 300 to one to win the national title. So here I am, thanks to my son, Henry, with at least one team in the national championship for the mid-major ranks. I think San Diego State gets it done. This has been an inexplicable run because if you ask me before the first weekend, the second weekend, I was bullish on San Diego State with the caveat always being Matt Bradley has to play really well. Matt Bradley has not played well. He's been in an incredible shooting funk, six for 27 in his last three games. Trammell ends up showing up huge and not a huge surprise to me having watched him play at Seattle where he carried so much of the offensive load, but that's not what he's been asked to do for the Aztecs. All of a sudden he's handling that element of it, but everything else has been piecemeal on the offensive end for SDSU. I think Bradley finally wakes up, gives him 15, 20 points in this game, gets the national title game. I think the number, as I mentioned, is just about right between the Hurricanes and Huskies. I think it'll end up actually being, you know, a five to eight point win. Let's call it that for UConn. And then in the title game, I think there's just too many advantages for UConn, too many outs on the board, because if they don't shoot well, they're the best offensive rebounding team, arguably in the whole country. And they can just overwhelm people defensively because of their bigs. And really their guard play, which was a liability in January, has now become a strength. So there's just no holes to poke in this resume. So I'll go ahead with UConn over SDSU. What are your thoughts on that? Anything that you take uh, exception to, given your advanced statistical knowledge and, and prowess? So it's funny. I was going to use this stat kind of as a bow at the bottom, and it's funny based off what exactly you just said. So Connecticut enters the final four as the betting favorite. We all know that. They're actually odds on at the moment. Uh, and San Diego State is number two. So that kind of tells you that one of those two teams are more likely to win it all just based on history. In 17 of the past 18 Final Fours, one of the two favorites entering the weekend went on to win it all. The only exception, 2014 UConn, again with the uh, the outlier. So odds tell you that UConn or San Diego State will find a way. Basically, if there's one upset, the other team won't get upset and that team will end up winning, beating the team that just perform the upset on the other side. So I, I like what you're talking about. I think one of those teams do end up getting it done just based off the flaws of Florida Atlantic and Miami. So I, I think a Florida Atlantic UConn title or San Diego state UConn title probably is the most likely scenario. Well, that was a pretty bow to put on the end of this action network podcast brought to you by FanDuel. For Evan Abrams, I'm Mike Calabrese. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the last remnants of the madness because we're headed for a cold, dark college sport offseason. No college football, no college basketball. So thank you so much, Evan, for your work, helping unpack all of it, and for our listeners for trying to, trying to find some winners here. Hopefully we offered up at least two more, maybe three. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.